The former president of the United States is on a manhunt for the men who killed his daughter. With the help of current and ex-military and foreign operatives, he will travel half the world for the most significant moment of his life. Will he be successful? Is more at stake in this mission than he realizes? The book. This is part two of The President's Daughter by Bill Clinton and James Patterson. And you're listening to Lit Society. Let's get This is Kari. And this is Alexis. And you're listening to Lit Society, a show about books and drama. This week, we're going to bypass the theme of the week again in order to have a special segment called Society Says. Society Says is where we share your comments, listeners, with the rest of our Lit Society. Alexis, what comment do you want to highlight uh, from Instagram, YouTube, wherever uh, this week from our listeners? Well, this one came from Apple Podcasts and it's labeled Even If You Don't Read. And it's from Queen Baby. Hey, <laughs> um, love listening to these ladies. I'm not going to lie. I don't read very much, but it is so much fun to listen to the intelligent, quick wit and banter between Kari and Alexis. And that's what I have. Thank you, Queen B. Thank a you. Baby for that was the Beyonce. Comments. I yes. knew she listened. <laughs> I also knew she didn't read. Don't come for me. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that was a little down. Listen, Kari, do you have a um, comment that you'd like to share with us today? I do. This comes from Apple Podcasts and it says, let's get lit. I love this podcast. I love books and talking about books so much that one day I thought of starting a book podcast for black girls. And then I thought maybe there are already some queens out there doing that work. I searched through pages and pages of podcasts and found maybe four or five still going strong. I am putting all my support behind them, listening and accepting. Oh, thank you so much. This is from, oh, Kay Sheree. Oh, we've had her comments before. She's such a great supporter. Thank you so much. We appreciate everything um, that you, positive that you have to say about us across Instagram. I think I've seen you on YouTube. So thank you so much. Um, and listeners, if you want to have your comments shared on the show, be sure to leave us a message on Instagram. You can go to Facebook, YouTube, you know, let us know what you think of our show, Apple Podcasts and Spotify, and we may share your comment with uh, the rest of the listeners, with the rest of the society. And on that note, Alexis, are you ready to take a break before we get into a deep dive of this week's book, The President's Daughter by Bill Clinton and James Patterson? If you say so. Okay, here we go. Last week, you told us about the authors, Bill Clinton, James Patterson, two people we'd never heard of. And you also gave us a brief spoiler free synopsis of the book. You, we talked about um, who might be interested in this book, why we chose it for the show. So this week, we're going to get into part two of the plot. Um, when we ended, the president's daughter had just been executed, right? Right. I had my doubts uh, because the book is called The President's Daughter. How's she going to be gone? 
and half the book is left. So please, Alexis, let's go into the possibly thrilling conclusion. Of <laughs> <laughs> Not the possibly thrilling. My daughter, thrilling. the president's daughter by Bill Clinton, James Patterson. Take the flow, girl. The floor is yours. Okay, as Kari said, where we last left off, the president's daughter was beheaded by Asim Al-Ashid. Um, and let me just talk briefly about Jiang. Do you remember him, Kari, a little bit? Yes, he was um, a Chinese um, military guy, or at least in the government. And he had the mission of rescuing the daughter on behalf of the Chinese government so as to um, strengthen the allied bond between the U.S. and China. But he also had his own mission where he wanted to do everything against America as much as possible because he blamed them for killing his father um, in an explosion of the Chinese embassy, I believe, in his youth. That's correct. That's correct. So keep him in mind as we continue through this story. All right. So the daughter has been headed. uh, The president's daughter has been beheaded on TV and it's two weeks later. The Secret Service has doubled around the house. The family is in mourning and Keating is home alone. His wife has returned to work. Who's Keating? And the former president. Oh, yeah. Oh, did you really not know? <laughs> no, I just thought we might need a reminder. <laughs> okay. The president, Keating, former president Keating, he takes Agent Stahl aside. Now, that is the Secret Service that's assigned to him um, through the presidency, his presidency, as well as when he um, left office. He takes him aside and he tells him he's about to go dark for a while and he's going to go find Asim Al-Ashid and everyone who helped him and take them out. So yeah, he's going to be in some dark places with some bad men and he doesn't want any static from U.S. military. So not he should let his homeboy know, his best bud. <laughs> not, not, uh, not from U.S. military because he's not telling any of them. He's telling... His secret service. He doesn't want any. That's related to the U.S. military, right? He doesn't. No, he's secret service. He doesn't want any slack from Agent Stahl. He's giving him a heads up. Whatever he does with that information after that, he, you know, it's in his hands. Anyway, David tells him he knows what he's been planning. He's heard him working out in the shed, and he wants in. Agent He's like, you've been back there making friendship bracelets for the Taylor Swift <laughs> concert, but I'll never see friendship bracelets. He said, I want in. I want um, to find um, Mel as well. Um, Keating tries to stop him and tells him that he will ruin his career, lose his pension. But Agent Starr tells him it's already ruined because of the investigation. They're actually investigating the, the officers, excuse me, the Secret Service that were present that were uh, guarding the former president because of the missing daughter, which I think is weird because why would they investigate him? She didn't have an assigned detail. Yeah, she didn't have security. So, but they want someone to blame for this catastrophic embarrassment to the U S. Yeah. It feels good that way when you have somebody to blame, doesn't it? I, I enjoy it. (laughs) (laughs) 
Okay, so Chief Staff Madeline Perry tells Agent Starr she overheard that conversation with the president and he cannot do this. Agent I mean, Starr, this is a pretty big conversation. They probably could have just written um, notes and destroyed them later, but they just talking freely throughout the house and people just happen to hear. <laughs> she wasn't even listening out for their secret conversation. They was like, hey, I'm going to get the folks to kill my daughter, okay? She says, I just walked past and I heard it and I didn't like it. Yeah, and the other guy's like, I'm going to help you. Mm -hmm. She's like, what? (laughs) You going to help him? What? This is a ridiculous mission. One, he's too old. Anyway, (laughs) she tells The president, yeah, he got a bad hip. He got a bad hip. The former president. Agent Star tells her it's too late and there's no stopping him. And then, like I said, she said he got a bad hip. He do not need to be going to run after anybody. (laughs) He'll end up dead. Ooh, this is risky. (laughs) Uh, Listen, anyway, she says he also needs to be focused on this book that he should be writing that's supposed to go to the support of veterans. Yeah, because she had an uncle who was a vet um, that died on the streets of Detroit. He froze to death. And so this book is supposed to raise enough money. The president, ex-president's memoir is supposed to raise enough money for that to never happen again, which I thought was very lofty and ambitious, a goal for a book. Um, but that's what she's money. hoping. Also a political <laughs> memoir. Like people don't read that. Yes, they do. Kari, there's this whole collection of people that you're ignoring. They love these political things. OK, don't I'm forget about them. them. I don't know them. <laughs> they exist and they want this story. They want well, maybe it. that'll save all the vets in all the world. He's going to get millions for it. Yeah, anyway. that's her main goal is to to do this for her uncle that's already passed. In his okay. memory. All right. So listen, moving on, um, they're on the search. They're trying to figure out what happened. Meanwhile, there's a man named Rodney Pace that's looking like an Old Testament prophet. And he is trying to get to Keating. But there are too many people around. Like I said, Secret Service has just doubled around his home. Um, and he has been waiting this Rodney Pace guy has been waiting like three days to try to get to the president, but there's always too many people around. And he finally sees Agent Stahl and he walks toward him with his hand on a gun in his pocket. Why would you do that to a Secret Service agent? I do no, not his know. Hand's not on his, the the um, Old Testament prophet looking professor has a hand on the, his pocket, on, on, a hand yeah, but not on a gun, a, but it is on his pocket. Yeah. Hand Why in his pocket with a hand on his in his pocket on the gun. Anyway, Agent Starr noticed him and quickly disables him, leaving Rodney reeling in pain and handcuffed on the ground crying. Really, he's crying. Um, Pace tells Agent Starr he's from the University of Baltimore and that Starr was at in at least two of his seminars. And what Rodney wants to do is uh, tell Keating something that's very important to what he saw in the execution of his daughter. And so Keating is like, what do you want? Now, Keating, excuse me, Agent Stahl is like, what do you want? Spit it out. So Rodney reveals that he doesn't think Mel is dead. He directs their attention to a video recording of his daughter's death and literally plays it over and over again. till they get it. And they're like, OK, listen, don't do that. Just tell mm-hmm. us what we need to be looking for. And he tells them that when the blood emerges from a fresh wound and it strikes an object, 
like the camera lens, you get a certain type of blood pattern and splatter and it's observable in a certain way. And when the blood doesn't come instantly from its source, it looks and acts differently. Pace tells them that he believes that the beheading video is a deep fake. And that's based on his research. And that's based on his research. And so um, learning this, Keaton recalls that it seems uh, Sam's cousin was a film school student with an emphasis on fantasy, science, fiction and special effects. And we met the cousin. He was the one who dyed his hair blonde and was uh, roaming the mountains with a student, a blonde student. So they watched the video again. Now they can look at it new and differently. Keating hears a sim say they are recording from the White Mountains. But Keating says that the background doesn't match. So they get confirmation that the background is not actually the White Mountains, but the Nafusa Mountains in Libya. And Keating immediately tells his wife that he doesn't think their daughter is dead. Keating meets with um, two Navy SEALs, um, his movie director friend connected him with. And one of them is Nick Zappos. Do you remember him, Kari? No. Can you jog my memory? He is the guy that was at the beginning of the book and he was on the mission where they originally went to kill Asim Alashad. Oh, yeah. Yes, mm-hmm. yes. That just happens coincidentally that he's also on this top secret mission for the ex-president. Mm-hmm. So um, President Barnes finds out about Keating's plans to fly to Tunisia and makes plans to ground the flight. Now that happens fast. We don't know who told, but we know she finds out. In any event, the flight is grounded. So he's got all his um, his support, which at this point is two, two or three people, two or three people of intelligence and military background. And they're getting ready to fly to Tunisia, which is an in-between stop before they get to uh, Libya to go and find his daughter. And he's called his wife. He's told his wife he's getting ready to do this. And all of a sudden, right before they're about to take off. It's grounded. The Mm -hmm. president, President Barnes, has called and um, requested that it be stopped. Uh, Let's go back to Ji Young. He's called into his boss's office, whom he calls a fat mushroom. Ji Young is told to go to Asim Malashid again and get Keating's daughter back. The Chinese government needs a win with the United States. His and at boss, this point, a lot of people have dis- have deduced that the video is a fake, a deep fake. So he's like, our experts have discovered that this video is likely false. She's probably still alive. Go get her. And for real this time. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and his boss also reveals that he has overheard. He is aware of the actual conversation that he had with Alice Sheed. That conversation was recorded. And he knows, that is, the fat mushroom knows that Ji <laughs> Young is trying to help Alashi. His boss then proceeds to tell him that his anger at the Americans is irrational. His father was a comrade. When the Americans bombed the embassy, it wasn't unprovoked. The boss tells him to do his job. Now hearing this new information about what actually happened, his father died for his country. Um, 
Jiang sees things in a new light and he's ready to do his job and get the president's daughter back for his country. I don't understand this, but okay, we're going to let it ride. I mean, I understand what's being said, but his change of heart, this is a grudge he's held his entire life against the um, U.S. military Mm -hmm. and the United States. Mm -hmm. As soon as he learns that the attack was unprovoked, he's like, oh, man, I forgive them. I'm going to get that daughter. I think it's a recognition that you die when you fight um, um, war. This is okay. it, it's an acknowledgement that his father worked for the government and was doing government things that affect the United States. And so he died in a line of duty. And I think it's an acceptance of that, which makes it seem in the book easier. Mm-hmm. Anyway, Professor Sam Keating, that is president, former President Keating's wife. She is about to accept award because she's moved on with her life. She's, you know, just trying to live, knowing that her daughter was beheaded on TV. Now, she's been made aware that it's possible that her daughter is still alive and that her husband is making efforts to go get her. But she also learns that the flight can't go on. It's been grounded by President Barnes. So Professor Keating decides that she must take action. And she heads to the White House. When she finally is granted access to President Barnes, President Barnes is President Barnes is abrupt and they have a tense conversation mm-hmm. where the president tells the professor that she is not gonna budge on allowing Keating's flight to leave, even if her daughter is still alive. The door opens and Samantha Keating walks in. She's dressed nicely, but her hair is in disarray and her face is taut, making her prominent nose seem even larger. Madam President, she says, approaching the desk, thank you for seeing me on such short notice. Glad to do it, Barnes lies, thinking, how dare you threaten me? How dare you come back to a place where you don't belong? How dare you? Barnes knows with 90% certainty why Samantha's here, but she's not going to make the first move. Let her work for it. Barnes motions to one of the chairs in front of the desk. She doesn't get up, doesn't offer a hand or an embrace. Have a seat, Barnes says, not bothering to offer a drink or anything else. And please, can you make it quick? I have a stack of official papers to review and sign off on before I can even have dinner sent up. Samantha sits down and says, I'll make it quick. There's an Air Force plane about to fly from a base up in New Hampshire. My husband and others are on it. Please allow it to leave. Barnes offers a chilly smile. Why in the world would I want to do that? Because it's the right thing to do, Madam President. Matt is on a mission. Please let him do it. Barnes firmly shakes her head. No, not a chance. Please, Samantha says. No, Barnes quickly replies, this country has one president, one foreign policy, one department of defense. I can't allow your husband to go out on a rogue mission, grieving as he may be. Trust me, Samantha, we're doing all we can to bring Mel's killers to justice. Samantha says, that's just the point. Matt thinks she's still alive. How did he get that information? Barnes thinks, perhaps, she admits aloud. Our own intelligence and military professionals are exploring that possibility, but that doesn't mean I'm going to allow an armed former president of the United States to fly on a military aircraft on a personal matter, no matter how much he is grieving. I can't allow it to happen. Pamela, she says, Madam President, if you don't mind. 
And besides everything else I've said, I can't have a former president expose himself to possibly being wounded, captured, or killed. Barnes makes a point of looking at her wristwatch. Now, Samantha, as I said before, I have a lot of papers to review and sign tonight. I'm sorry I can't allow Matt to fly overseas. I have to ask you to trust the professionals in this. If there's evidence that Mel is alive, we'll track her down and find her. We won't let anything get in our way. Samantha's voice is so slight that Barnes has to strain to hear it. Like when you refuse to pay the ransom? Is that what you mean by not letting anything get in your way? Barnes stands up, reaches down, and picks up her dispatch case. Don't believe everything you read in the newspapers or on the internet. I thought you would have learned that when you were in the White House. Samantha remains seated. There's nothing I can do to change your mind. Barnes is standing behind her desk wondering how she can get this woman out of here without having the Secret Service grab her arms and drag her out. Nothing, Barnes says. Samantha reaches into her purse, pulls something out, and gently drops it in the middle of the Resolute desk. How about something that can destroy your presidency in the next 48 hours? Samantha Keating feels a sharp sensation of satisfaction upon seeing the president look at the thumb drive and then slowly sit down behind the historic desk that was once Matt's. She remembers all the times she's seen Matt defeat his home secret service detail while playing poker through the night, even when the cards weren't in his favor. Once he said, Sam, it's all in the way you handle yourself. If you can stay calm and collected, you can win with a pair of deuces. But if your opponent sees your eyes flicker, your hands tremble, or you look away, they'll go through you like a buzz saw. High stakes poker, Samantha thinks. That's what she's playing tonight. What is that? Barnes says. A thumb drive, Samantha says, with a video on it. Samantha keeps her mouth shut. Whoever folds and talks first, she thinks, has lost. She stares at Barnes and Barnes stares right back. All right, the president says. What's on the video and why should I care? Samantha coolly presses on. Three years ago, next week, she begins, starting to utter the sentences she's practiced over and over on the 15-minute taxi ride to the White House. Your husband flew to Macau to attend a reception and 80th birthday party for one of his casino investors. You were serving as vice president then, so Richard flew over there alone. Barnes shakes her head. I don't remember that. Sorry. Samantha says, oh, he went there all right. There are news accounts and photographs and a number of blog postings, including some criticizing your husband for spending time in a Chinese-controlled territory. Barnes attempts a bit of humor. What's on the video then? Richard singing happy birthday in Mandarin to some Chinese Communist Party apparatchik? No, Samantha says. The video shows your husband engaged in sexual congress with three individuals in his hotel room, none of whom appeared to have reached the age of puberty. The president's face pales and she says, I don't believe you. What, that thumb drive magically appears in your mailbox at BU after it was made at some cyber facility in Moscow or Beijing? Samantha, you should be ashamed of yourself. Samantha planned for this reaction. She says, when Richard was staying at the Golden Palace Macau, a former grad student of mine was in the same building working for a respected international firm updating security software. He saw what was going on. Despite the surveillance jamming instrument Richard was carrying, the Chinese know how to get around that and was so shocked at what he saw that he recorded your husband's activities. I'm sure I'd be happy to testify as to what he saw and recorded. And he just gave this to you now, Barnes demands. 
Stay calm, Samantha thinks. Stay right on target. No, she says. He gave it to me right after you declared you were running against Matt for the nomination. Barnes's eyes flicker down to the black thumb drive and she looks at it as if it were a poisonous reptile ready to scuttle across her desk and bite. But, but why didn't I use it back then during the primary season? Samantha asks, because I'm not like you or your Richard. I wasn't going to use this to win an election. It was too disgusting to even consider. Silence for a few seconds. Samantha gently taps the thumb drive, but I will use it to save my daughter. Make the phone call. Allow that aircraft with Matt and his crew to depart, and I won't release the video. Barnes says, go ahead, release the video. Who will believe you? No one will touch that. It's too repulsive, horrible. Oh, I'm sure the major news media won't touch it, but there are some internet news sites that would love to run the story. It'll be worldwide news within a day. The so-called legitimate news organizations will be forced to report on it. The pictures will be everywhere. There's another pause. She can see Barnes's face struggling with emotions and Samantha says, that's the deal. Make the call now and I'll never release the video. In a tight voice, Barnes says, not good enough. I want that thumb drive and I want your promise no other copies exist. Samantha says, no other copies exist and this thumb drive isn't leaving my possession. With that, she scoops it up and puts it in her suit jacket pocket. Pamela, make the call. Poker face, Samantha thinks. Silence. The ticking of an antique clock in the Oval Office, the far-off siren on the street. Barnes picks up the phone. Paul, she says, connect me again with the National Military Command Center. Barnes waits. Samantha waits. Colonel Sinclair, this is President Barnes. I'm reversing my earlier order, grounding that National Guard flight at peace. Contact the wing, Commander. That flight is to leave immediately. She slams the receiver down. Done. Happy now? Samantha stands up and says, Good night, Madam President. Glad we could sort this out. Professor Keaton played her cards right and she won this debate, right? Yeah, but at the same time, we now know that the chief of staff is a pedophile. We ain't going to look into that. We're not going <laughs> to pull up his computer search history. <laughs> No, I don't like it. But yeah, well, of course you don't like it. But this is the book, and on we go. <laughs> so the plane is able to take off, and that mantra comes up a lot in this book. Mm-hmm. This is the book, and on we go. Okay, on we go. Okay, mm-hmm. so back at the White House, this is how um, Mr. Barnes is dealt with. Okay, President Barnes charges her husband up about the threat from President. Um, Professor Keating, she tells him he needs to resign from his position as chief of staff because he is sick, but he can um, stay on as the first husband. So she's going to stay married to him. As the first president, as the first husband, the consort to the. He's got the first husband. Okay. First husband. (laughs) Yeah, you can stay on as the first husband, but nothing more. Mm -hmm. She so she put and she puts him out the bedroom that night, too. All right, that happens. Part two, y'all. So his punishment is he gets he, a cushy job. A he position. lost his job. He lost his job. Come on, his job is to be the first husband. So he gets a cushy job and one of the sixteen bedrooms in the White House, and anyone he could choose from. Okay, he is a sexual offender. Part two. Mel is alive. 
If you didn't know already, Mel is alive and she's in the rear of a dirty white van and she is in Libya. The back of her neck aches from having been struck by the dull sword blade more than a week ago. Earlier that day, she asked one of her captors to change her tired hands from the back to the front. Mel frees herself from the, because he does that. So her hands were tied behind her back. He tied them to the front. She asked him to check, tie them to the front. And because he does that, she is then able to free herself from the cuffs and she exits, exits the van. Uh, she covers herself with a blanket, examines her surrounding, takes note of the constellations and makes mm-hmm. a run for it, heading north. When Asim finds out Mel has escaped, he kills those assigned to watch over her and begins his search. Okay, so Mel ends up being picked up on the side of the, from the side of a road by um, a group of men, women, and children in a van, I believe. And we learn that this group of people is referred to as the Berber. And they live in the Nufusa Mountains and are hunted and killed and oppressed by whoever is ruling in Libya for a crime of being different. One of the women says, um, ask who Mel is. She wants to know. And she tells her Mel decides to tell her her name and that she's been kidnapped from the U.S. Mel asks for a phone. The woman tells Mel that she has a phone, but in this area, there's no coverage. And her cousin is coming by and she can he can take her to where there is coverage so she can make the call. Um, Mel just tries to think about who she could actually call. When the cousin arrives, Mel gets in the vehicle with him and he pulls and he decides he needs to pull over at a gas station. And there he surrenders her to Farage. That is Asim Alashid's cousin. And he tells her that he would not risk his family's safety for a foreigner. Okay, let's jump back to Jiang. Following orders, he's heading to the Nafusa Mountains to collect Mel Keating um, from Asim. He is guided by his local uh, longtime asset, Walid Ali Assam. Uh, he's a tribal leader and he has 10 tribesmen with him. So he's got some backup for himself. Jiang does. So Jiang knows that his boss has sent him on a suicide mission with no support. So this is his way of having support. Jiang decides that this is his last field mission after this. He wants to be a good father um, to his daughter. He wants to live. When they arrive at the site where Asim is located, they see Farage. And Farage tells Jiang Asim um, that he's all Asim welcomes him always and he'll talk to him whatever, it doesn't matter. Come on up. He knows that he has been emailing him and Asim hasn't been responding to his email. And Asim's mind, he's like, if you want to talk to me, you can come, you know where I am. Mm-hmm. Um, so as they're wrapping up their conversation, Farage signals and there is an explosion. The vehicle that Jiang arrived in is burning and Jiang falls to the ground, covering his head as and ears and Farage takes Jiang's gun and it seems men are firing at the men or um, the people that uh, Jiang brought to support him and he's taking them out one by one. When Keating and his team land in Tunisia because 
now they've been able to take off. They take on a task to prepare for his search and rescue. Um, but then Asim Malashid appears on TV with Mal and the newspaper of today. And Asim tells Keating through CNN, that's the spot, right? That um, he fooled him on purpose. And just as the West has constantly fooled his people, he lied to him to make him and his daughter mourn the way he has mourned for weeks. As compensation for taking his wife and family, Mel Keating is now going to be a scene's daughter. She will, receive, she will receive a new name and join him for the rest of her life now. And any attacks they make on him trying to get her back, his daughter will become collateral damage. Mm-hmm. And the screen goes black. Then after that TV um, CNN showing, Keating receives a call on his burning burner phone. It's from one of his connections and he knows where Mel, where Mel is located. She, it confirms that she's in the Nafusa mountains. He then receives another call from one of his other connections and they say she's somewhere else. So they need to try to figure out where she actually is. Yeah, because one gentleman is um, noticing some real life on the ground activity um, in a certain area that makes him believe that's where um, former President Keating's daughter is being held. But the other gentleman is going off of the broadcast that was just shown that was actually live. Um, And so now he's like, should I go where this real life action seems to be? Or should I follow logically where the broadcast was being released from? Okay. And so after he thinks about it, he looks at the video again and he looks into the eyes of the girl and he realizes that the girl is not his daughter. So the broadcast area is not where his daughter is being held. So now he knows which location to go to. and He starts his plans to fly to Mel's location. Jiang, who was now um, chained to a wooden chair. And he's put in a room in, well, I say a cell. He's put in a cell where um, Asim is keeping people. Asim comes in, he tells him he admires his persistence to come all this way just to talk to him. And Ji Young tells him that this is his job. Asim um, asks him if he has, um, if it was his job to bring the squad of assassins to come attack him and his followers. And Ji Young tells him that attacking him wasn't in the plans, um, but he knows how dangerous it, it is in these lands and he was being cautious. And using the resources available to him. Asim wants to know if Jiang wants to assist him. And Jiang tells him that his mission has changed and he will offer him a generous reward if he returns the girl to him. So after Asim leaves, Jiang, um, Faraj comes in and he asks Jiang about the offer that he just made to Asim. Faraj wants the specifics, though. So Jiang tells him it's 20 million euros in a confidential bank account, safe transport anywhere in the world and free lodging. Um, And then he'll make sure that Americans, British and Israeli services can't find him a new identity, excuse me, so that they can't find him. And then Faraj tells Jiang that he's going to accept that offer because he is tired of jihad. 
Now his brother, his cousin, he's loyal, and but he just can't do it anymore. Jiang doesn't know if he can, uh, if this is a trap or not from Faraj. Um, he tells Faraj that he's not sure he can trust him. But then Faraj tells Jiang that he will cooperate with him um, or he's going to tell a scene that actually Ji Young is the one that murdered his family three years ago. Mm-hmm. Ji Young, of course, is frozen and speechless. Faraj reveals how he knows that Ji Young is responsible for the death of Asim's family, even showing evidence. The explosion that killed Asim's family came from the inside, and there was an electronic triggering device that um, is the proof. There's a shipment of uh, 82 millimeter motor rounds that were temporarily being stored at Asim's um, headquarters and they're shipped from Jiang. And because of that, they know Jiang is the source because the, the device was triggered by a cell phone call and Jiang wanted to get, we identify that Jiang wants to get rid of a seam who is becoming a burden and he wants to take Americans out at the same time. So it becomes a win-win for Jiang. This makes no sense. So in the very beginning, there was that party where we met the Chinese national. Right. And the man who gave him the information on the secret mission being held by the Americans um, to catch what's his name? Asim. To catch Asim goes, um, don't you have some interest in this area? Right. He could have just said, hey, ain't you Asim's like... (laughs) Aren't y'all like, don't you communicate? I don't know. That was way more top secret than it needed to be. Um, (laughs) Then the Chinese national goes into a secret room, makes a call. And that call leads to the explosion that kills Asim's family. It makes no sense. We'll talk about that. You can explain why then. Tisk tisk. And Farage tells. um, um, Because why wouldn't you just let the Americans kill them? Because he wants to kill the Americans. But he detonated it, so he didn't know he was detonating it too early. Why did you say that? Because, oh, I guess he did kill some Americans, but not a lot of the soldiers. He mostly killed the family of Asim. Mm-hmm. And injured and, um, and wounded some Americans and killed too. It's not good enough. Okay. It's weird. All right. Faraj tells Jiang <laughs> he has an opportunity to take Asim out later when he's, um, when he's finished. He'll want the arrangement made because then he'll give him the girl. He'll give him Mel. Meanwhile, Mel is thinking they're going to kill her for real this time. So she um, in her cell, she's like in the same place as um, a scene, not a scene. She, yeah, she's in the same place as a scene, but also in the same place as Jiang. She sees yeah, an opening in the set and the cell that she's in. So she's she starts digging so she can mm-hmm. get out. And she's right. The plan is really nonsensical it's to kill her but to travel around the world with a lookalike alexis <laughs> um to travel around the world with a lookalike to torture then, her father yes. in the end reveal that the daughter has actually been dead for years and ha ha this is a lookalike and we're gonna kill her too i guess yes tired <laughs> After some time, Faraj comes to Jiang and tells him Asim wants to have him watch the execution of the president's daughter so he can go tell his leaders there are men 
who cannot be bribed. When the when they arrive in the room with a seam, Jiang asks a seam one more time. Just give me the girl. Um, I won't even give you any money because you don't want any. But I'll tell the leaders that you are not only a man of God, but a man of mercy. It seems tells Jiang, it's nice. It's a nice try, but that, uh, that he doesn't need to be afraid that he's going to die because he's, you know, I'm vowing not to kill you. He tells Jiang that he and the West forget the importance of God, vows, and self-discipline. Faraj forgets as well. And he says, Faraj is loyal, smart, and a good fighter, but he is always tempted by technologies like listening devices. And he says, you don't need technology when you have a good man and good ears listening (laughs) through an open window. And he stabs (laughs) his cousin in the chest. Oh, oh yeah. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. (coughs) Alex is getting choked up. Asim takes Ji Young to the room where Mel is held. And when he arrives, he can't get the door open because Mel has lodged a piece of wood under the door to buy herself some time as she's digging this hole in the wall. And when she finally gets into the room, uh, when they finally get into the room, they can see Mel's feet wiggling to her escape. It mm-hmm. seems tries to grab her feet, but Mel makes her through the hole and makes a run for her life. The guard is behind the scene as he's trying to grab Mel and Ji Young is behind the guard and he takes that opportunity to kill the guard. He hits a seam on the head with a gun, um, with the butt of the gun and the seam stumbles and falls down. Ji Young closes the cell door and leaves um, to look for Mel um, and he has equipment that can help him see her. So he sees her and he heads towards her. Meanwhile, the Keating squad runs in and they can see after they've gone in and shot up everything that Mel has already escaped. So mm-hmm. now they're on the lookout for Mel. Meanwhile, Ji Young finds Mel, identifies her, himself um, as a Navy SEAL. And while Mel comes to him initially, she quickly realizes that he's not Navy SEAL because he doesn't have on the uniform of Navy SEAL. And so she tries to run. And so there's a shooter above that's on Keating's squad that can see this happening. So she shoots Jiang and Mel gets away. Okay. And so then she tells, then the shooter that sees uh, Mel and Ji Young fighting, well, her struggling to get away from Ji Young. She then tells Keating that where Mel is so he can go get her. Keating Mm -hmm. makes his way to her. And before he can get her, he comes across a seam and is stabbed. They tussle and then (laughs) Keating gets the better of him and um, shoots him. Okay, And he has a line here, right? He's like. Only in Texas. Wait, what does he say? Does he? <laughs> Did you like, you talk too much. That's yes, what it he is. He said you talk too much. Yes. You talk too much. And then he killed the former president kills Hussein. Hussein. Sorry. Mel and Keating are united. They head to the meetup spot. Um, Ji Young is is also there because he was um asking for help. He's, you know, he's hit. So he's asking for help. And so the woman that shot him or the the lookout person that shot him comes to his aid. 
as she hears him cry for help and they all go to the helicopter. Now, they're almost at the helicopter, right? Almost at the helicopter. And Faraj, remember Faraj got stabbed in the chest? Mm-hmm. Well, Faraj is still alive, barely, but he has enough energy to pick up the AK-47 and he fires at those heading towards the helicopter. And he hits Agent Stahl as he's diving to protect Mel. Mm-hmm. Mel is hit and Agent Stahl dies. And that brings us to the end of our book. But there is an epilogue. The epilogue, you guys, is like five more chapters. <laughs> so it starts to be like chapter 192. I'm not even kidding. <laughs> no, she is In kidding the epilogue as <laughs> well. So I am only going to bring out one piece of the epilogue, unless you think there's another Mm-mm. piece that's very Go important. Ahead, you got it. <laughs> the piece and the epilogue is um, Jayet Young is in New York. His boss is there, the fat mushroom, and they're celebrating him. They're celebrating Ji Young. Um, and the celebration has been going on, but Ji Young and uh, his family are about to leave. And just before they leave, his boss is, is like, hey, um, let me talk to you for a minute. So he takes him to another room. They sit and his boss pours a drink into two glasses and tells him, um, have a drink. You deserve it. Jiang drinks. His boss then proceeds to tell him how he messed up everything and how now they are indebted to the United States instead of the other way around. The Americans say he interfered with the rescue of the president's daughter. So there are going to be no talks, no movement to improve Chinese American relations until his status is settled. His boss tells him he will never leave the U.S., and Jiang is like, wait, you handed me over to the Americans? His boss says he would never do that to one of his officers. Jiang then notices that the boss never touched his drink. And his boss tells him, not bad for a fat mushroom. So I know what you call me behind my back. <laughs> also, uh, happy death day. We will take care of your family. That's what he says. And that brings mm-hmm. us to the end of the book. Wait, there's one more thing. So throughout the book, there's this um, we we know that when an administration changes, the current president leaves a note for the next president. And so throughout the book, there's this um, subtle talk about the president about the note that President Keating left for current President Barnes. Right. And so as President Barnes is watching Keating being celebrated on television, she not even invited to the celebration and she the president. She like, how did this happen? <laughs> she thinks about the note he left where he says, see you in four years. I'm coming back to work. Right. And they end. I see why you left that out. Okay. <laughs> well, would you like to take a break before we get into our final verdict? Let's take a break. Okay. part two we heard your brief um, thoughts at the end of part one now we'll take all of your thoughts what is your final 
review and opinion of this book and would you recommend it to others? Yeah. Um, so all I said about the good things, like how the women are intelligent, the men are intelligent, um, the villains, quote unquote villains and real, I mean, villains do have good motivations. That all stands for me as I finished the book. I felt like this book took its time with the plot. So it's not like you or I never felt lost in the plot. Like, how did we get here? How did, or how are we in this part of the world? In fact, maybe it's a little too slow in the movement um, as they're on their way to go find the daughter. A lot is happening and it's taking you through the minutia of um, finding a team on the ground to assist that team no longer being available, finding another team. And it's clear that the purpose of this is to show that um, no matter where you are in the world, the bond of family is strong and people love America. So there are good people out there who want to do what's right by the fathers of the world, especially American fathers. And sometimes the only thing they need as payment is a handshake from a former president. <laughs> this really adds to um, the mythology behind um, American fiction and there is within that an obsession with violence in the Middle East. So that leads me to what I did not like about the book. This is not a mystery where the reader is being taken along, given clues, and then we find things out. It's not an interactive plot. This is very much a revenge thriller. Mm. Um, this is a book where a father loses his daughter and has all of the available tools um, needed to go find her wherever she is in the world. He uses those tools. Um, there's a part in the book where he's killing a lot of young men and he reasons in his heart, better you and your guys than me, mine or my daughter. Um, so there's a lot of that. It's a very violent book. This is not a book I would um, recommend. And it's not a book I would choose because this isn't the type of plot that I'm into where you're just being carried along um, for the vibe. At one point, I felt like I was a captain. <laughs> so I got to know how it ends, but I also don't know how much I care. Mm. <laughs> I, I found it very gross. Um, so the, this type of military violence, this happens. This is real. Yep. This is People lose their lives. People are um, introduced into war at a very young age all over the world. Um, often those people introduced into war have little tools for success, a uh, few tools for success in their society. And I mean, everywhere in the world, that is a common um, thread is that in order to um, introduce introduce youth into the prospect of possibly dying for their country, usually they don't have many other options. Um, we talked last week about how there was some criticism for a president who wrote this book, who will remain nameless, who dodged a draft. <laughs> um, but then he's talking about his love for the military and um, kind of projecting this military persona into his character that I'm not sure I'm really not sure how much that's based in fact in his truth. You know what I'm trying to say? So, but does it have to be in his truth? Is that necessary? This so is a fiction I'm, book. You're right. This is a fictional book and it does not have to be based in any sort of truth. And there's probably a very real temptation to uh, graduate from the office of president 
<laughs> with all of this knowledge that makes you a very um, like perspicacious author. You know the inside. You know if you're into writing and you also had this political position, wow, you really have a new take, a new point of view uh, for your protagonist as opposed to another political fiction author. Uh, but maybe don't follow that temptation down this road because who are you serving? This is a very self-serving book in a lot of ways and it feeds into this obsession with violence um, across the seas. So at the conclusion of this book, I felt similar to how I felt after we finished um, Casino Royale, the James Bond's first, um, Ian Fleming's first uh, James Bond novel, just kind of gross. Um, and and that's because of the violence. That's because of the unnecessary um, degradation of certain people. In James Bond's case, it's always women. Mm. Um, in this case, uh, I don't even know because I, I won't say that this um, book is xenophobic. I won't go that far. Um, but it's just if if you are appreciative to men and women who sacrifice their lives for um, the interests of your country, how can you take that and then make a fictional novel that kind of um, I don't know, somehow vicariously through Keating, former President Keating, um, because Bill Clinton is a former president, I felt like it was self-serving. I don't I don't even know if that's perhaps I'm going too far with that, but but it made me feel icky uh, because of the connection there. You have a, a real life former president with a former president protagonist who is basically Superman with a bad hip. <laughs> and um yeah, this is not a book I would recommend and it's not one I would read again. Alexis, what about you? How did you feel about The President's Daughter by Bill Clinton and James Patterson? Okay. Um, <laughs> that's one of the things I remember about comments made about his uh, this book. I guess it was the both books, the two books that President Girl, Clinton- the president is missing? That one and yes. um, this one is that like- they like he is full of himself and that <laughs> is carried on in this book. But he he's a writing. He's writing. He gets to write the character he wants to be. How, he has permission to do that. Why not? This is what you get to do. The thing I like the storyline. OK, I do feel like there was a lot of information that was absolutely unnecessary, um, like it could have been shorter. It could have been in the 300 page category because it was a lot. You know how we used to say when we read those older books how, or did I used to say that it was all the extra words, the flowery words describing things. That is this book right here. There's a part in the book where he's like, and I remember back and I, and my daughter said, daddy, oh, daddy, daddy, daddy. Why? Why is that even in there? Is that no, necessary? I thought that was good. This is when he's, this is at her execution. He's remembering all the times that they shared it together. It was past the execution. And nonetheless, uh, the point is it was too <laughs> much. It was unnecessary information. So those are two things. And then again, he does have permission to be his own person in a book that he is writing. You want to be a superhero? Be a superhero. You wrote the <laughs> book do it but the violence I have to come back to the violence um it just oh my goodness I just think it's too much now Kari always brings up the Jurassic Park book I think that's different and here's <laughs> that why. book is very violent okay here's, it's a different type of violence this is not 
animal. in reality. Animal. <laughs> and they're animals. Animal. And we always on the side of the animals. We're going to side no, with the animals. We're going to side with the animals, okay? Because humans be coming for them, okay? They do. Humans Leave be coming the for them. Alone. Leave the animals alone. <laughs> this is um, described um, violence against humans, and I don't like it. So I don't like mm-hmm. it. I don't like that. That's too much. So I would not recommend this book. I wouldn't recommend it. I wouldn't read it again. I don't have to read the first one because the violence is there. And this tells me that this is who James Patterson is, because as I started to read the first um, Alex Cross book, I was Mm -hmm. finding it to be more violent. And I was thinking, well, with President Clinton in it, maybe it won't, it'll be less violent or maybe it won't have the same violent um, overtone, but it does. And so that is who James Patterson is. I didn't know that. And um, now I know that is how he writes. He writes with a heavy hand of violence and I don't like it. So um, I wouldn't recommend that book for that um, purpose, but there, I will say that there are parts that, um, that I appreciated in the book. I do appreciate how the book was written, like the surprise with um, Professor Keating, Keating's wife, mm-hmm. charging up the um, the president, current president, the current Barnes. president Barnes. I did appreciate mm-hmm. that part. I was like, ooh, ooh, yeah, agree. <laughs> that was exciting. And then the part when um, um, Farage revealed that Ji Young was the actual person that set off the bomb because the whole time I was like why is Asim so upset the bomb came from the inside he had to have something to do with that and so that Mm -hmm. was revealed to me so I appreciate that so final recommendation I would not and um I don't love the book but there are parts within the book I would I, I did appreciate so that's that's my take on it so thank you Alexis for sharing your thoughts what are we reading next week I shall tell you, we are getting in to the uh, memoirs for the rest yes, of the year. Yes, it's memoir okay? season. We're getting ready to dive into them big time. And mm-hmm. the first one on our list is Worthy by Jada Pickett Smith. Yeah, that's violent in another <laughs> way. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> is it emotional violence? It's an emotional violence. Mm-hmm. Um Yeah. So this is the time of year when a lot of celebrities are releasing their memoirs in order to get that um, fourth quarter boost when people are looking for something to buy and to gift. Okay. And so, uh, yeah, it's memoir season and we're starting with Jada. So join us next week for a dive into Worthy. We have one week to read it and we're going to get it done for you guys. Thank you for listening to Lit Society. Lit Society is brought to you by Kari Herrera and Alexis Anaria. Support the cause by leaving a five-star review for us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, along with a comment about why you love our show. We love you. Because we absolutely love you guys. If you've enjoyed what you've just heard, share Lit Society with a friend, at least one friend today. Say, you know, I think this episode is for you. Um, uh, We really appreciate that. And also visit LitSocietyPod.com to um, see our show notes, to sign up for our email newsletter. And until next time, you guys, read read something. something.